Okay, and we're on the Strong Tower page. All right. Okay, we're just a little bit early, so prepare yourselves in the virtual sanctuary Strong Tower this morning. Um, one of our core values as a church is flexibility, and so uh, we have to be flexible because if you're going to be ready in season and out of season, you have to be a flexible follower of our faithful God. Amen. Amen. But good morning, everyone, on this uh, beautiful January 16th, 2022, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. Uh, Doreen and I are honored to be here to uh, serve you and encourage you on this day. Uh, boy, a lot, lot in store, a lot going on. Let's see here, making sure of our information is lined up right. Got a text from Pastor Jerry. He says, I see you on my preview, when do you want me to go live? Pastor Jerry, you can go live right now, brother. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Thank you, Pastor Jerry. Good morning, brothers, sisters. Yes, yes. All right, all right. Come on into the virtual sanctuary. Come on in, come on in, come on in. Oh, boy, I will not play any music because I don't want this to be taken down. And uh, my wife, her voice is still I was going to say, I will not try to say. I've been, I've been trying at home. Um, and the, the let's just say there's still some settling going on in here. And, yeah. and we wouldn't want to be a distraction. Yeah. And, and, uh, and we know y'all don't want me to sing. Uh, I'll make a joyful <laughs> noise. But I, I'll just stick with what I've been called to do. And that is to teach. That's right. This morning. That's right. Good morning to all who are on now and those who will come later. We know some will be watching this later, but wherever you're watching from, we hope that you are warm and safe. Um, here in Tennessee, we have a wintry mix that is ongoing and a storm advisory for accumulation today. So we have moved um, our service from in-person to online. And we are thankful. I always want to give thanks for the ability to have technology, to have a means to be able to stay connected. And even the way that God has used technology in the midst of this pandemic, that has not been the norm, um, nor has it been what any of us would would choose. And yet, even through that, God has allowed our reach and um, his work to go broader. And so we, we celebrate that and we praise him for this tool and all those who are behind the scenes to help make that happen. Amen. And uh, as we get started, I want to open us up in prayer. And then Doreen is going to share a couple of thoughts. Um, um, but as we go to prayer, I want to be mindful to um, lift up Elder Clifton Harris at Strong Tower Bible Church. Um, got a call yesterday that his beautiful mother, Pranetta Evans, passed away at 80 years old in North Carolina. And so um, as the son who happens to be a minister, he will uh, put all the affairs in order mm -hmm. for the family. He'll be traveling mm -hmm. uh, this week, maybe mm -hmm. even tomorrow mm -hmm. to North Carolina. So let's keep Elder Clifton Harris mm -hmm. in our prayers mm -hmm. as, uh, as he oversees the homegoing of mm -hmm. his mother. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, as we open up in prayer, let me open up the scriptures, have the reading of the word this morning. 
Yes, indeedy. This is from Psalm 61. And the Bible reads, Hear my cry, O God. Mm -hmm. Attend to my prayer. Mm -hmm. Does anyone need God to hear their cries today? Um, you, you, you can be in love with Jesus and still have things in your heart mm -hmm. that make you cry out to him. And let's make sure we're crying out to him mm -hmm. in addition to crying out to others, mm -hmm. friends and family, mm -hmm. counselors. All those people have their place. But above all, let's cry out to God. And I love how even the psalmist says, oh, God, mm -hmm. when you see that in the Psalms where it's like, oh, Lord, mm -hmm. it, it's the cry of the heart. Oh, God. And so some of us are in that place today, mm -hmm. a place of uncertainty, mm -hmm. struggle, pain. Mm -hmm. And if you're not in it today, mm -hmm. Keep living, right? But the psalmist says, hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer from the end of the earth. I will cry to you mm -hmm. when my heart is overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. And I love how the writer mm -hmm. says, lead me. David is saying, lead me mm -hmm. to a rock, mm -hmm. the rock. That is higher than I. In other words, I I, I can't make it there on my own. Mm -hmm. As my shepherd, you mm -hmm. have to lead me mm -hmm. to that place of safety, yeah. up high, yeah. a refuge. And then he says that you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Mm -hmm. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust mm -hmm. in the shelter mm -hmm. of your wings. Mm -hmm. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the shelter you, of your wings, mm -hmm. for your covering for your goodness, for your grace to us, for the fact that you know that we live in a fallen world with fallen people, um, fallen elements where there are fires and floods and storms, blizzards, um, fallen systems of injustice. And yet, God, you entered into this fallen place in order to lift us up. And the only way you could lift us up was that you were first lifted up on the cross mm -hmm. so that you could make what was wrong right. Mm -hmm. And as we're waiting for that day, that time when you will make everything new, we trust you now. We ask that you give us strength. We pray that you would lead us to the rock that is higher than us. We pray that you would give us uh, the strength we need, mm -hmm. the covering that we need, the provision that we need, mm -hmm. um, that we may not only get blessed, but be a blessing mm -hmm. to be your hands and your feet, to serve people in your name. Mm -hmm. A cold drink of water, clothing, food, visitation, prayers, laying of hands. And as we're going to see today, being a Samaritan, a good Samaritan. So, Jesus, thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way. Minister um, in this virtual sanctuary. Mm -hmm. Meet the needs of your people. Mm -hmm. Let them know, Lord God, that you're the same yesterday, today and forever. You can yes, do sir. everything but fail. Yes, uh, may we look and see your track record. When we have trouble looking forward, may we look back and see your faithfulness and know that you can take care of us today. Mm -hmm. We pray for Elder Clifton and Alfreda, their yes. family, yes. as they uh, grieve the passing of his mother. Mm -hmm. Pray, God, you would anoint him up with eagle's wings mm -hmm. and carry him through this time. Help him to grieve and to grieve with hope. Anoint him to preach the gospel and to celebrate her life well. Yes. Lord, protect your people on these roads, mm -hmm. those who have to go out. Watch over churches around this city um, who are having to go virtual today. Help us all 
Uh, bless your church. Bless your body. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 That was a good prayer to just <laughs> set our hearts because truly we all are struggling with being overwhelmed in some capacity. So that was that was good. Psalm 61 to go back to and meditate. Um, as we are in Martin Luther King's birthday weekend, you know, a birthday is an opportunity to celebrate someone's life. And I, I know whenever we celebrate birthdays, we love to just share reflections from our lives and um Sometimes we receive gifts. Uh, people give us birthday cakes. They do things to say your life matters and we are grateful that you were born. And so as we think about that for Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., we celebrate um, that he lived. We celebrate that his life mattered and that the work that God used him to do um, continues to impact us today and his words continue to echo. So I hope that you will take some time to read over his words. I've been reading over a letter from a Birmingham jail again. Um, things have stood out to me this year that didn't stand out to, didn't stand out to me before. And um, I've been really grateful that my publisher has shared some snippets from The Celebration Place, um, the book that I just released a few weeks ago. And, you know, there's an intentional um, spreads that honor the life of Dr. King for those who haven't seen them, um, this spread talks about how he was a leader that God used to rose up to show us how to bring down justice here and now. And um, we know that there were many other leaders, but certainly as we focus on Dr. King this weekend in honor of his birthday, um, this page I love that he marched so suffering people would see freedom and hope and dignity. And uh, I've just been reminded today that his final act of activism was for sanitation workers. They deserve dignity. They were suffering. And I wanted to just allow these words, his words in his life and um, the, the heart of our God who called us to, um, to pursue justice. He is a God of justice that we would um, renew our commitments and that we would reflect on how God used Dr. King and the ways that he has called each of us. It will look different for you than it does for me, for Chris. Um, and we need to honor that each of us are called to play a part. We each have a role um, to serve and to demonstrate to our children, to the next generation who is watching our words, our actions, our faithfulness. And so um, I just pray that it will be a call to us to action. And we can do that even if we're snowed in, even if we're not out marching, um, carrying banners, uh, serving the things that we might normally do on MLK Day that some of us won't be able to do. But we're not limited to just the day. So in his honor and to the glory of God, I pray that we will um, continue the march toward freedom and um, serve the purpose that God has called each of us to. Amen. And uh and that being said, we will not be able to um, have the festivities in Franklin, Tennessee tomorrow, Monday, on the King Day holiday because mm -hmm. of the weather. Mm -hmm. So um, just want to let you guys know that we're not going to gather uh, the way we had planned at First Missionary Baptist Church and march down to the square where the um, brand new statue March to Freedom is and have a program. We're going to have to uh, push uh, things off until Black History Month. All right, so um, uh, don't show up tomorrow, okay? <laughs> we won't be out there. But um, in light of the, the weekend, I want to show you some of my 
um, collectibles around Martin Luther King. Uh, this is a Life magazine from April 12th, 1968. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, we, we know that he was assassinated on April 4th, 1968. So that came out um, right when he was assassinated. And then this is um, probably my favorite piece. This is the iconic picture of Coretta at the funeral of her husband. And this uh, Life magazine came out on April 19th, 1968. All this is before I was born. I was born July 17th, 1968. Your mother was carrying you. I was carrying. I was in her womb that's, at that time. That's beautiful to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And this came out May of 1968 from Ebony Magazine mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is what I'm going to talk about today. I've been to the mountaintop. And then uh, let's see here. This is another one with Coretta, mm -hmm. such a beautiful, bold, and strong black woman. And then uh, I have a couple of albums as well. And this is my latest album with Dr. King um, from 1963. Mm. It's called The Great March to Freedom. So as the civil rights movement was gearing up for the march on Washington, they had pit stops along the way. And uh, this is really mm. the first time the, the I Have a Dream speech has been recorded mm -hmm. because he kind of goes through a, um, a version of it here in Detroit in, uh, in June of 1963 before he preaches in Washington mm -hmm. in August of that mm -hmm. year. And one of the reasons I got this is because when we had gone into the uh, National Museum of African American Music and Culture here in Nashville, Tennessee, they had this on display behind a case. Uh, so I said, man, I've got to search high and low to get mm -hmm. myself a copy of this <laughs> since it was on display at the yeah. museum. Yeah. And I was able to find one. And uh, now the jacket is not in great shape. You know, it's kind of ripped up. But man, I played the album and there are no scratches on it. it it's, it's almost perfect. So I'm grateful yeah. for, for this. Awesome. So, yeah, you, you know, your past is a collector. I do more than collect comic <laughs> books. You know, And that I, I album gets a, a, quite a bit of listening to in here. And it's it's sweet to be able to listen to his words on, Amen. on that Amen. woman. So, all right. Well, all right. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's go over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. For the word and. And we'll let you go to go out and be disciples who will make a difference for Jesus, who will be not only hearers of the word, but doers as well. Luke chapter 10, I will begin reading at verse 25 from the New King James Version. And the Bible reads, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, 
and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Watch this. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Well, strong tower family and friends with your prayers and with the help of the Holy Ghost, let's talk today on the subject of what love does, what love does, because if we don't know what love is, we'll never know what love does, what love does. Um, I want to take you back, if that's all right, this morning. I want to take you back to Wednesday, April 3rd, 1968, to Memphis, Tennessee. April 3rd, 1968, Memphis, Tennessee. It was a dark and stormy night. As a matter of fact, the weather was so bad that there was a weathery advisory word that went out, uh, basically imploring people to stay in. Dr. King and his other civil rights devotees were in Memphis at this time in order to um, protest unjust treatment and uh, low wages for the city sanitation workers. Upwards of 1,300 sanitation workers in the city of Memphis had gone on strike. And the local Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which Dr. King was the president of, uh, invited him in to help lead demonstrations in order to see these injustices turned around. And so he's in Memphis now for a second march. A first march had occurred and uh, there was some mayhem in that first march and it did not go well. People were planted in that crowd to cause a disruption. So he's back in Memphis to plan another march. Um, there was an injunction in court that the civil rights workers were trying to overcome in order to do the march. So there was a lot going on. And so Dr. King and his entourage, when they had arrived in Memphis, they went to stay where they normally stay. And that was at the Lorraine Motel in the low income black community, which is really the only community of black folks in Memphis at that time. Uh, he went to stay there in a motel, not in a hotel. Uh, in downtown Memphis, but in a motel in the low-income black community of Memphis. Um, and I find this to be um, extraordinary, 
that here is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., probably the most famous black person in the world at the time, even greater than Muhammad Ali. Um, he had won the Nobel Peace Prize. He, had, he was named the, man, the Time Man of the Year. Um, he had been used to usher in legislation with the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Um, famous, the I Have a Dream speech in 1963. I mean, he is famous, yet he chooses to still humble himself and be in parts of town that most people would not travel through. And not only that, he does not travel with a police escort. Now, the police were watching him at this time, um, but they weren't there to protect him, obviously. Uh, but here he is humbling himself, uh, doing what he naturally does to be with and among his people as he serves them. Because he realizes that just because men and women work with trash, that doesn't mean that they're supposed to be treated like trash. So he comes in and he stands up with them. And the whole theme of this protest is, I am a man. Treat me as such. And this was a call that had been going out ever since slavery in this country for enslaved Africans uh, saying, treat me as someone made in the image of God. Treat me with honor and dignity, not as property, as a thing to be owned, but as a person made in the image of God. And so in 1968, that was the clarion call. I am a man. We are human beings. Treat us as such. And so as he comes into town um, there to have these rallies, to pump the people up, to educate them on the protocol and the things that are supposed to happen. And so the meeting is scheduled for that evening at Mason Temple Church of God in Christ right there in Memphis, Tennessee. But because of the bad weather, King feels that no one is really going to come out. So he sends the men ahead from the motel to the church and he stays back at the motel. And not only that, he's nursing a cold and, and he's like, you guys go. Well, when Ralph Abernathy and the other ministers got to the church, much to their surprise, the weather could not stop the people from coming out because they had a fire in them that rain could not put out. And so they assembled in that church by the thousands the church seats 7,500 people, and there have been estimates that there was anywhere from eight to maybe even 10,000 people packed in this place that night. And so um, Abernathy and the men, Reverend Jesse Jackson, they called back to the Lorraine, Lorraine Motel and said, Dr. King, you've got to get here. The place is electric, and I don't think the people will uh, think too kindly if we speak and you don't speak. So he got up and he came to the church to speak that night. And when he got there, um, he spoke off the top of his head, yet from the bottom of his heart. He had no notes, no Bible, but yet he preached a prophetic word, not knowing that it would be the last speech, last sermon, last rally of his life. And so he gets up and he speaks for almost 45 minutes from his heart to the hearts of the people. And that's what I want to get into 
for us this morning. He begins the speech by saying that he's excited to be alive in the time period in which he's living, 1968. Still with all of the segregation going on in the land and although there had been laws in the books on the federal level, those laws were not realized on the local and actual level. So although uh, the laws may say that there's to be no segregation or the laws say that there is supposed to be equal treatment and the ability to vote on the local level, there were still many hurdles put in place to keep those laws from becoming a re reality for black people in particular in this country, which, by the way, here's a plug. That's what critical race theory is, is primarily a legal theory that looks at why the things that are on the legal books of our country and our states are not applied on local levels and in real time as pertains to people of color. Critical race theory is not about black people hating white people. It's about black people looking at the laws and holding the country and states accountable to what they said on paper. That is what critical race theory is. Nevertheless, I digress. And Dr. King in this speech, I mean, it is so eloquent. If you have never listened to this speech, I've been to the mountaintop. Uh, please listen to it today or do it tomorrow on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, do something educational if you can't get outside and do something um, practical in the community. Uh, but he ends up giving a civil rights lesson to the thousands who are in attendance there because he has different generations in attendance because there were some black people who were coming up who were tired of all this nonviolent talk and they were really ready to talk about black power and taking things by force. So being the father of the movement, if you will, he had to go back and say, let, let me remind you of what happened in 1955. And he works them all the way up to 1968 to the present time at that moment. And he talks about what happened in Albany, Georgia, what happened in Montgomery, Alabama, what happened in Birmingham, Alabama. And he's telling stories of the movement and of the struggle, educating, but also trying to uh, motivate the people to keep on going. And as he's sharing with them, he continues to emphasize the importance of nonviolent passive resistance. And so, again, that, that was very bold then knowing that many times they were going to face uh, brutality, not only from the people, but even at the hands of the police. But yet he continued to preach, even in 1968, the importance of nonviolence. He talked about the sit-in movement. He talked about the freedom rides. And he talked really uh, uh, centering it all in the fact that the reason why the people were able to flourish under his leadership was because of who their faith was in, that they trusted in almighty God, whose son is Jesus Christ and how they would sing hymns in the jails and how they would face the fire hoses and the attack dogs, uh, praying and worshiping and really operating in the filling and the freedom and the power of the Holy Spirit. And he just basically talked about how it was a marvelous movement because the hand of God was on it because they were on the right side of history because they were standing up for the things of God. And so he's telling these stories and he even gets into how 
they have to organize in such a way in the black community that um, they practice economic withdrawal because there were many companies who were mistreating black people, black workers who weren't standing up with them against uh, these injustices that were committed. And so Dr. King said, we're going to hit them where it hurts. And that's in their pocketbook because we can't always wait for people's hearts to change. So what we got to do is mess with their dollars and their change, because sometimes that's the only way people will start thinking. So they said, we're going to boycott from Coca-Cola because of their hiring practices. They were going to boycott from seal tests, milk and local bread companies. And he was also telling them to put your money into black institutions, uh, black banks and black insurance companies, black taxi companies. He, so, so he's saying, let's pull our money back because you're not going to get our money if you don't want us at the same time. So we got to take your money in order or our money. We got to keep our money from you in order to get your attention. Now, here's what I want you to see in this speech that was, as I said, almost 45 minutes. He's talking about uh, all kinds of things in this speech. Again, he, he's going off of his heart, just sharing. But he mentions Nashville, Tennessee, in the final speech or what would be the final speech of his life. Nashville, Tennessee, of all the places he could have mentioned, he mentioned Nashville, Tennessee. Now, he was just three hours down the road in Memphis. But why? Why did Martin Luther King Jr. mention Nashville, Tennessee in his last speech? Well, let me read to you what he said. Dr. King said in his speech, James Lawson, one who has been in this struggle for many years, he's been to jail for struggling. He's been kicked out of Vanderbilt University for this struggle, but he's still going on fighting for the rights of his people. Wow, did you hear that? As Dr. King is speaking, he looks out and he sees a group of ministers sitting somewhere on the front row. And he begins to name some of them by name, Reverend Billy Kyle and, and others. And he mentions James Lawson. And when he mentions James Lawson in 1968, April 3rd, he's going back to 1960 when James Lawson was kicked out of Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about this in a minute, but let's stop and pause and let, let, let's let this moment sink in. <sighs> At that time, Vanderbilt, like so many other institutions, were not on the right side of history in 1960 and 1968. They, they were not on the right side of history. And James Lawson was a Methodist minister. And uh, Dr. King once said of James Lawson that he was the leading theorist and strategist of nonviolence in the world. James Lawson. Who, who is James Lawson? Let, let's dig a little deeper. Not only was he a Methodist minister and very learned, he also traveled to India in 1956 in order to learn nonviolent principles from Mahatma Gandhi. Dr. King learned from Mahatma Gandhi. James Lawson learned from Mahatma Gandhi. But above all, both these men learned from Jesus and what the scriptures te teach in terms of how to love your neighbor 
well and to incorporate nonviolence in how you love. Uh, but they, he went to India, learned from Mahatma, came back and enrolled in grad school in Ohio. And while there, one of his professors said to him, knowing that Lawson studied and uh, was practicing nonviolence, he said, you need to meet Martin Luther King Jr. So this professor introduces Martin Luther King and James Lawson. After they talk, Martin Luther King says to James Lawson, he said, you've got to relocate to the South. You, you've got to move here, man. We need you in this struggle. So James Lawson left that college in Ohio, moved to Nashville, Tennessee, of all the cities he could have gone to in the South, moves to Nashville and enrolls in Vanderbilt Divinity School. And so while he's in Vanderbilt Divinity School, he's teaching nonviolent principles to black students, black college students in the area. Uh, black students from Fisk University, Tennessee State University, American Baptist College. Uh, uh, he's teaching them nonviolent uh, passive resistance. And he's doing it in the basement of two local churches primarily. One of those churches was Clark Memorial Methodist and First Baptist Church, Capitol Hill. So those churches had training sessions in their basements. And so the students would practice uh, and, and go through all kinds of scenarios there, black and also some white students, if you've seen the uh, film footage. But mainly the movement was led by these black college students from these historically black colleges and universities. And so uh, um, through this movement, this man was able to touch people intellectually and mentally, a college student. <laughs> and he trained some very great people or people who would go on and do great things. Have you ever heard of Diane Nash? Yeah. James Lawson helped train her. James Bevel, Marion Barry, Reverend C.T. Vivian, and of course, John Lewis, who will go on to be a representative from the state of Georgia uh, and who also had a crucial role in the civil rights movement. Well, he was under James Lawson and uh, all of these folks together launched the Nashville sit-in movement in 1960. And Nashville became the first major city in the South to desegregate public facilities. My goodness, James Lawson was instrumental in seeing that happen. So in 1968, Dr. King calls out the fact that in 1960, this man was expelled from the Divinity School at Vanderbilt for what he had done in the civil rights movement. He had been arrested multiple times uh, and, and, and they expelled him from the school. But, but Vanderbilt, didn't stay on the wrong side of history. Can somebody say amen? Uh, because people can change and the institutions that people lead can change. Hello, people and in institutions that, that, that put up barriers against uh, unity and equity and equality can change. It's called repentance, personal and institutional repentance. So in 2006, at the graduation ceremony of Vanderbilt, which was 46 years later, 46, Vanderbilt University apologized to Reverend James Lawson. 
They apologized to him. They said they were wrong. And then they invited him to come and be an adjunct professor at the school. And he taught at Vanderbilt from 2006 to 2009. So it's all good in the hood. My goodness, 46 years. I'm so glad that they decided to right a wrong. Um, I've even seen how the city of Nashville, who arrested John Lewis, how they welcomed him back in latter years, not long ago, um, to basically honor him and to uh, present various items to him from when he was arrested here in the city. And of course, they named a street after him in downtown Nashville, somewhere around the Gulch area. They named, you know, John Lewis Way. So you see cities trying to make changes from being on the wrong side of history years ago. I just stopped by here today in the virtual sanctuary of Strong Tower Bible Church to ask the question, how long is it going to take for some folks who are wrong right now to one day make the change and be on the right side of history? Because we got some people right now, individuals and organizations, pastors, churches who are on the wrong side of history as it pertains to civil rights, human rights, restorative justice, biblical justice. They're on the wrong side right now. Uh, OK, let's make this even more relevant. The organization called Moms for Liberty, Williamson County, uh, right here in Franklin, they created a false narrative surrounding critical race theory. Again, not going to the practitioners and developers of critical race theory to learn from them what it is, what it was, but they created a fabrication of what critical race theory is, and they made it into a boogeyman uh, because they didn't like what truth, how truth made them feel. So rather than grappling with truth, dealing with truth, facing truth, they said that people were using the past to make white people feel guilty, especially white children. And white kids should not be made to feel guilty about things that happened in the past. And so they began to weaponize critical race theory and to even get it to a place where schools cannot legally teach critical race theory as if schools were already doing that. No, they weren't. Critical race theory is higher education. It's taught in the grad school level, especially for people who are studying law. Elementary kids aren't learning about critical race theory, but guess what? They're learning about Ruby Bridges. They're learning about Martin Luther King and John Lewis and Moms for Liberty went on a tirade to get these books taken out of the educational program here in the state of Tennessee. That's the Moms for Liberty. Uh, and so this group not only tried to ban books by Ru about Ruby Bridges, but also books about Martin Luther King Jr. But then just this past week, they turned around and had the arrogant audacity to use Martin Luther King's image on their promotional material to sell tickets for their $100 a ticket fundraiser. So, so <laughs> let me just read what Martin Luther King's daughter said, because um, we have people here who sent her a message to say, let, let, let us tell you what's going on here in Williamson County again with the Moms for Liberty and your father. And here's what Reverend Bernice King said.
She said, uh, even beyond MLK Day, some individuals, organizations, and groups misuse my father and take his words out of context to promote ideas that oppose his teachings. This instance is particularly concerning because Moms for Liberty, Williamson County, sought to erase him. Now they're using him to make money. Bernice King went on to say, so he can help make money, but not be taught in full. It's time to talk. Let's have an offline conversation. <laughs> if MLK's daughter, Martin Luther King's daughter, is telling you, Moms for Liberty, Williamson County, and other groups associated with you, that you got her father wrong, y'all need to listen. If she says that y'all are out of pocket, y'all are out of pocket, but you're too arrogant to listen and learn. Why? Because you have an agenda. And you will try to pimp Martin Luther King to fit that agenda. And you'll only quote and even misapply one portion of his speech from I Have a Dream about not judging people by the color of their skin to imply that he meant that we're to have a colorblind society. That's not what he meant with that. And so just like you can take Jesus out of context, you could take Martin Luther King, John Lewis, uh, 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 James Lawson, all of these folks out of context to support an agenda. I know you may not like it, but it's right. I wish I had an amen on, on social media. I wish I had an amen. Uh, matter of fact, my, my, my good friend, Pastor Walter Simmons, and a few concerned citizens met last week with the leadership of the factory, which is the venue which rented to Moms for Liberty, to say to them, listen to this, Franklin is the only city in America that hosted an anti MLK event on MLK weekend that Dr. King's daughter Bernice has publicly denounced. They didn't say that about Arizona. Now they're going up to Arizona to deal with voting rights, but she said she's talking about what's going on in Williamson County. And Williamson County, Franklin, is the only place in the country that has an anti MLK event on MLK weekend. That's why I speak up. That's why we stand up, because we're not going to be complicit to this kind of ignorance. Those folk are wrong. I hope they uh, took Bernice up on her invitation to meet. But you know how Jesus says that when you're doing evil, you don't want to come to the light because the light will expose your evil deeds and your wrong information. Ah, I got to get going. I got to get going. Martin Luther King III recently stated, too often elected officials tweet and quote my father while standing in the way of progress on voting rights. So that's why this is all relevant. This is just more than a warm and fuzzy Martin Luther King weekend. No, we're still trying to fight for voting rights in 2022 the way they had to get legislation passed in 1965 for voting rights. Why? Because a narcissist who was the former president of the United States, lost an election because he didn't think he would lose, but he lost. And because he lost, he said that the election was rigged. And that started a whole mudslide in this country away from democracy. Oh, my God. And so now we're in this place today where now voting rights, they're trying to clamp down and make up all these hurdles you can't give water to people in line and you got to show this kind of identification. You got to do that to make it harder on poorer people, indigenous people, brown people, black people to vote. 
we're still in the fight, y'all. My God, because the spirit of white supremacy is still very much alive. And so we must see them in the Jim Crow era filibuster and guarantee the right to vote for everyone. There's truly no MLK celebration without the passing of this legislation, this um, bill that is being sent forth uh, in Congressman Lewis's name. Well, let's end this. Let's end this. Let, let's go to the scriptures. Let, let, let's see what's going on here. Because in the speech that Dr. King gave that night on April 3rd, 1968, although he had no Bible, the Bible was full in his heart. And there are still many preachers today who don't believe Dr. King was orthodox uh, in his understanding of scripture. Now, where he was in seminary ended up being different from what he was when he began to pastor. OK, so uh, he believed in the inerrancy of scripture. He believed in the deity and the salvation that Jesus offers. He, orthodox, but he also had orthopraxy. Huh. But let, let, let's, let's keep going, though. In this speech, he really comes from the Old Testament when he talks about Moses going up to the mountaintop and looking over and seeing the promised land. He could not enter because he struck the rock. He likened himself to Moses who led his people out of bondage towards the freedom in the promised land. And he saw himself as leading his people, black people out of bondage of segregation and into freedom. But like Moses, he said, I may not get there with you, but we as a people, we're going to get to the promised land. The Joshua generation made it in. I made it in. I'm pastoring a diverse church in the South now because of the work that they did in the wilderness of America. My God. But he went up. He, he's quoting from Deuteronomy. And then he's also quoting from the book of Amos in this last speech where he's saying to the ministers and all the people, be an Amos. In other words, be a, a, a freedom fighter, a prophet of justice. Stand up. He quotes Jesus in this final speech where he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and to set captives free and to set the oppressed free. He quotes Jesus. But then as he works to a conclusion, just as I'm doing today, he talks about how a certain man had come to Jesus. The passage that I read to you from Luke 10, what we call the Good Samaritan parable, a certain man came to Jesus and basically was asking, who is my neighbor? And Dr. King said that Jesus snatched that question out of midair and put it on a dangerous road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he begins to, to talk through the parable. And you know what happens. There's a man who gets robbed and he's stripped of his clothing, mm -hmm. beaten. He's wounded. He's left for dead in the middle of this road that Dr. King said he and his wife, Coretta, had driven on that road. And it's a dangerous road with a lot of turns, a lot of places where robbers can hide. It's called the Bloody Pass. And he said that uh, a priest came down that road saw the man in the street, passed on one side. Then a Levite, another religious guy came and he sees the bloody guy in the middle of the road and he passes by on the other side. And then a Samaritan comes and he sees the man and he renders aid to him. Well, Dr. King, he said, let me use my theological imagination here as many preachers uh, are given the ability to do. And he's saying he's trying to figure out 
Why did the Levite and the priests not help this man? And he said they may have been on their way to a meeting, a church meeting, and they didn't have time to stop and make their faith real. Or they may have been thinking, this may be a setup. That man may not be hurt. He may be a robber in disguise. Or maybe there's an ambush waiting that his crew, his gang, they're in the bushes. And so they say, if we stop and help this man, what will happen to us? What's going to happen to us? But Dr. King said that the Good Samaritan flipped the question and said, if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? Here it comes, y'all. Here it is. What will happen to him? Not what will happen to me. What will happen to him? Why? Because to love your neighbor, sometimes you have to put yourself in harm's way. My, 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 my. So the question that King gave Memphis in 1968 is the question he's giving us in 2022. And that is, if we do not stop to help people, what will happen to them? And in this parable, we see what love does. The way Jesus broke it down, let me see if I can break it down. Love will come to where you are. Love will stop when religious people keep on walking. Love will see you wounded, alone, and half dead. Love will have compassion and take some action. Love will come down from its horse and be inconvenienced. Love will take a risk to make sure you can live. Love will cross racial, religious, cultural, and social boundaries. Why am I saying that? Because the man in the road was more than likely Jewish. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were part Jewish, part African or Hamitic, and they were not viewed by the Jews in the South as being full-blooded Jews. So they looked at them as people of mixed ancestry, mixed racially, but also the Samaritans were mixed religiously. They only held to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. And so the Jews looked down on them and they never wanted to go through Samaria in order to go from uh, uh, Judea to Galilee in the north. So that was a forbidden area where those people lived. Uh, in just chapter nine, James and John wanted to blow Samaria up because the Samaritans did not want to have Jesus stay there because he was going to Jerusalem. So there was a lot of racial tension and issues happening in the day. John chapter four says that the Jews and Samaritans had no dealings. But here Jesus is telling a parable, a story, preaching a sermon to a know-it-all theologian who's trying to trap the master. But the master is going to trap him by saying, you want to know who your neighbor is or one who acts neighborly? It is this despised group of folk, the Samaritan, the dogs. They're going to show love. They're going to do what the Levite and the priests did not do. They're going to show mercy to a man, a Jewish man, more than likely in the middle of the road. Love will bandage your wounds. <laughs> love will touch you and get his hands dirty and even bloodstained. Love will pour oil and wine on your wounds. Love will bend down, lift you up and put you on its own horse. Love will walk so that you can ride in comfort. 
Love will take you to an end so you can recover. Love will dig into its own pockets to pay your expenses. That's what love does. Love will stay the night with you and not leave you alone. Love will speak to the innkeeper for you when you cannot speak for yourself. Love doesn't have to tell you its name. We didn't know the man's name. He just acted. And love surely doesn't need a pat on the back and it doesn't need to take a selfie to show that it helps somebody. <laughs> love. Love simply says, when I come again, I'll take care of whatever needs to be taken care of when I come again. And Dr. King was using this biblical truth to say to those who would gather that it might not be you right now. That's in need. Your job may be all right, but the sanitation workers need your help. So let's show love for them by standing up with them on their behalf. Oh, my goodness. That's what love does. So no wonder Jesus ends this story by saying, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Show love. Show love. Be like the Samaritan. And Jesus knew what he was doing because he was telling these Jewish folks to be like these despised people. The lawyer could not even say when Jesus said, who was the neighbor to the man? He couldn't even say it was the Samaritan. He said, he that showed mercy. And then Jesus said, well, imitate that despised person. Follow his example. Because ultimately the Samaritan was a picture of Jesus Christ who was despised and rejected by his own people. But yet he put himself in harm's way when he got up on that cross in order to save us from our sin. All people, even the people who were crucifying him, to save us all from our sin. Jesus laid down his life so that we could have eternal life. So let's apply this. One way, one way, one way we can love our neighbor is to wear a mask. It's one way. But when Christians who profess to be pro-life are anti-mask during a pandemic and then get upset that this pandemic won't go away and they now say it's a pandemic instead of a pandemic. When, when, when pro-life folks won't even do a simple thing of wearing masks because they're saying their rights are being violated. You don't know nothing about rights being violated. A mask. How about skin? You can put a mask on, take a mask off. But when my parents were coming up, their black skin was a weapon. They were vilified and, and demonized. And they were withheld opportunities because of skin. That is uh, discrimination. That is not having access to the rights that they say we're supposed to have. But you don't want to wear a mask. You're more political than biblical. <laughs> you are more religious than truly righteous. You're, you're more conservative than Christian. Because when love shows up, it not only talks, but it walks. Love is action. So don't say that you love me. Oh, let me back it up as I close. A lot of people say, I love God. 
but you don't love your neighbor. Remember, Jesus said you can't separate these two now. So if you're going to love God, it's going to show up in how you love your neighbor, especially your neighbor who's different than you, who votes differently than you, who lives differently than you do, who maybe even worships differently than you do. Your neighbor, especially when they're in need. That's when a true follower of Jesus shows up. I just want to know, like Jesus, who going to go and do likewise? Because <laughs> you can talk it. But if you don't walk it, man, your talk is cheap. Uh, well, Dr. King tells a story um, as he works to the conclusion of that speech. And talks about a time in which he had gotten stabbed. That happened in 1960. He was in Harlem signing books and he was stabbed in the chest by a demented black woman with a letter opener. Stabbed him in the chest. They rushed him to the hospital and uh, they had to perform open heart surgery to remove the blade. And while he's in recovery, they say to him, Dr. King, that blade was so close to your aorta that had you sneezed, you would have died. And so he gets uh, letters, telegrams from all over the world. So many of them, he couldn't read them all. And he said, uh, you know, the president of the United States sent him a get well telegram. He says, but I can't remember what it said. And then the vice president sent something. He said, I, I can't remember what it said. He said, but there was one telegram, one letter. I, I remember what it said. He said it was sent to me by a ninth grade student at a local high school in New York called White Plains High. And this student sent him a letter and he began to tell the crowd in 1968 what that letter said in 1960. And he said, uh, the letter said, Dr. King, I am a student at the White Plains High School and not that it should matter. I am a white girl and I am writing to tell you I'm so glad you didn't sneeze because had he sneezed, he would have died. And what she was saying is, I'm so glad you lived. And here this man is still talking about this one gesture of love that was shown to him by a ninth grade white girl who really was like the Samaritan. Because here's Dr. King, a black man who's wounded in the middle of the road. And she pours oil and wine of gladness on him through a note of kindness to say, I'm so glad you're alive. And that so blessed his soul that he's telling a room full of black people what this white girl did for him eight years ago in New York City. Because that's what love does. Can you show love to somebody today? Can you do an act of kindness? Can you be willing to, to put your neck out a little bit, even if it means you might not be received by your own family. But that's why Jesus said, who is my mother and my brothers and my father? Those who do the will of God, the family of Jesus Christ. That's what love does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Show us, lead us to places where people are in the road hurting. That we could take some of our time to serve some of our resources to help and to make sure that they're on their feet. Lord, we pray for the righteous folk in this world, especially in this country, to do the right thing, to stand up for truth in love, to speak the truth in love, 
to not waver and to be on the right side, not only of history, but on the right side of the kingdom of God. So thank you, God. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen, y'all. That's the word for today. I hope you had a good time in the virtual sanctuary of Strong Tower Bible Church. I hope uh, you got some milk and some bread and all that stuff because y'all clean out them shelves, man, when a little bit of snow comes. But, uh, but I hope everybody's all right. And again, no celebration tomorrow at uh, the square in downtown Franklin, but find other ways to celebrate and even to legislate and demonstrate. All right, y'all. God bless. Love you. We'll see you next week if the Lord wills. Peace.